invite Zenda up now, who's going to be doing our reading, and then I'm going to hand over to Rog. Thank you, Nikki. Right, we're doing the last two verses of James. James 5, verses 19 to 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and somehow brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Thank you, Zender. So, Zender said it beautifully. Um, this is the last week of James. And uh, where's my famous drummer? There he is. My f- oh, no, he doesn't want the applause. But this is Brent. And uh, yay, he's that good. Brent, you can start slowly. But, I mean, we try to make moments. And uh, if you know... Um, what we've been up to this year. You know that we've been preaching through the book of James for a while. And uh, we started this year and we have been going verse by verse, sometimes as small as two verses at a time. And uh, to get to the end of any book, I think deserves some sort of celebration, right? Right? Yes. So I've got a little drum roll here. We're starting to build it up because we've got to celebrate. And uh, after the meeting, I have the amazing privilege of introducing you to. We need some more volume, Brent. This needs to get louder. It's getting exciting, and I need a cheer when this happens because we are going to be eating donuts. And to Brent, thank you, bro. You couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for more. That was everything I was expecting all week. I feel like I can sit down now. And we're going to look at these donuts for a long time, and we are going to enjoy them. Christine, there we go. You think we should put them on to keep them fresh? Nah. I think it's a better visual for all of us, and I will try to keep my hands off them. But can you believe it? We're in, uh, since we've been in Alcano, we have worked through a number of books, but some of them we go slow and steady. And uh, we've got through James. And it's an amazing privilege to think that now as a community, we've, we've ingested, we've marinated, we've settled in this book. And uh, you can say that as a community, you have walked thoroughly through the book of James. And really, James is, um, he's aware of an interesting dynamic. He's preached through so much. He's taught this community, this group of churches that he seems to care so deeply. He wants them to ingest the wisdom of God. He's written about all sorts of stuff. He wants them to have a a faith that builds upon the grace and love of God. He doesn't want them to just have a faith that they speak with, but they don't act upon. He's been teaching about living in the way of Jesus' love towards the weak and the vulnerable. And he's poured out his heart and saying, this is so important. He's talked about being double-minded and the danger of, of almost having this duplicity not playing around with temptation, and he's spoken into wisdom around fighting temptation, never showing discrimination towards needy people and looking down on some and preferring others. He's had our number on that. He again kind of pushed home again, faith that works, he spoke about, rightly using our tongues. Man, 
It's a challenge. As James talks about the power of the tongue, and he talks about this as an authentic sign of, of followership of Jesus, that your tongue should be well guarded and, and reined in, choosing humility rather than confidence in themselves, he speaks into. And then he finally talks recently, as we looked in the last few chapters, about our interactions with money and not living for luxury and self-indulgence. And really, it feels like, as we look at these last two chapters, these two verses, it's as if James is sort of going, this is crucial. Do you know what's going to happen in the life of your church? So many people are going to do their best to follow Jesus, and they're going to try their best to walk close with him by his grace, enjoying the wonderful joy of just knowing him and loving his ways and seeing the fruit of, you know, when you walk with Jesus, it tends to bear some sort of fruit. There's a life of freedom. You're, you're freed to love. You're free to be loved. And man, Jesus' wisdom just works. And James is now saying, but just remember, my final encouragement, if you're going to do this thing well, remember that each of you are going to wander sometimes. And, and this word wonder, it's an amazing word. It's the word that uh, the Greeks used also for the planets, that they kind of orbit out. <laughs> they kind of wander out. And, and obviously, the, the, the stars in the sky were a mysterious place. There was this sense that uh, James is saying, just like the planets, they're out there. Sometimes people, too, will wander. They're going to lose their orbit. They're going to lose their sense of groundedness in, this, in the community of God, in the, in the faith of following Jesus. They're going to walk, go about, walk about and lose that sense of closeness, lose that sense of intimacy. There's going to be a sense that, that it grows a little cold. And he says, listen to me, guys. All the stuff I've taught, you're going to do your best, but there's going to be some of you, probably all of you from time to time, who are going to go walk about. You're going to orbit. You're going to, you're going to float about in your own space. And let me tell you, there is a joy and there is a job for you. There's a joy and there's a job. And I want to speak today about the joy of helping wandering people and also the job of drawing wandering people back into the fold. And that's really what James tends to speak about for the last two verses. He's going, guys, it's your job. I can't write forever. I can't write an unending letter. I'm finishing the letter, and I want you to help each other. I want you to be the kind of community that walks with each other and, uh, and carries each other, especially when some of you go walkabouts, especially then. So here's how most of us work. Now, you're going to hate this. If you're an independent kind of rebellious type, you're saying, don't tell me how I work. I'm going to tell you how you work. Here's how humans work. We have this cycle, uh, maybe Shaz, if you could put it up. Something happens at the top, an activating event. This, is, this happens over and over in our lives, uh, hundreds of times each day, thanks to Mads Dazel, who reminded me of this amazing journey of, of the human heart. But basically, we have an activating event, something happens in our lives. Then, when that event happens, there's a story we tell ourselves about why that event happened. And it normally inf informs what we do next. There's generally, the next thing that happens is some sort of emotion. We feel something. Then there's a behavior that follows after that. You feel something, and once you've felt it, you do something in line with that emotion. And because you do that thing, it has a knock-on effect to those around you and to your environment. And then what happens next is you have another event. And your life is a series, a cycle of these things going round and round and round until you are formed into a certain type of person. 
That's just how it happens. Our lives are like that. We literally go around in these cycles and literally forms what we like, how we respond, and the people around us begin to go, oh, no, that person's like that. Oh, he's a little grumpy when he's at home doing this. Oh, she's, a, you know, she's super excitable in those environments. Why? Because she's learned to tell certain stories. She's gone through this cycle a number of times, and that's the effect she has on people around her. So let's use some examples for a moment. Next slide. Let's think about this for a moment. Okay, so you've got an activating event. Something pushes your button. You arrive at church, and uh, you would expect a warm greeting, but the person you expect to have a warm greeting walks to you, looks at you friendly, and then their kid messes with their pants and pulls their, you know, and, and they get distracted, and they don't even really greet you. And you're just like, oh my gosh. The church is meant to be friendly, and look at what they do. And then... You have the story that you tell yourself. If it's happened once, you go, oh, it might be a first time. If it's happened more than once, you tell yourself a story. You go, Christians are just as bad as everyone else. I knew it. It's just happened before. It's just like my parents told me it would. I'm not coming back. Or I'm just going to do whatever comes next. You tell yourself a story. And then, because you tell yourself that story, you begin to feel something in your heart. You feel an emotion. If you're a lady, you've got quite a wide array. There's at least 12 there. Next slide. That's what happens if you're a man. You're either fine, happy, or sad. And normally the sad, you're actually saying you're angry, right? And dudes, there's more to it than that, I promise you. Uh, anger is actually just the tip of the iceberg. Underneath that, all of us have stuff, and, uh, and all of us should probably learn that it's more than just the three. Um, but normally, you go, how are you doing? Fine. We live in the yellow zone more often than we would like to believe. But the fact is, is that's not true. That's actually not the fact. We actually have a myriad of emotions that we normally, I'm talking to men mostly, we just put under the mask of anger. So they didn't greet me like I expected, and we go, well, I'm just pretty frustrated. But underneath that, there's a good chance that I'm feeling a little rejected because, well, I've felt this before. This happened in grade two, it happened in grade nine, it happened with those guys, it happened then, and so there's something in me that's like, I'm afraid of another one of those because those things aren't nice. Those things suck, they hurt me. They make me feel rubbish. I hate rejection. And so what I do is I mask it as anger, and I'm angry. And so what I do thereafter is I have some sort of behavior that I do. Maybe because it's, you know, I'm using a churchy example, I just sort of sit at the back and make sure I don't over-engage with anyone. I don't want to give too much away because I don't feel like building relationships that could start the cycle of rejection again. So I just stand from a distance. The effect is interesting, though, because the effect, yeah, you might go, yeah, sure, I, I slip out of church at the end, but there's more to it than that. You see, the effect is, is that I don't build a network of loving friendships. I see myself, uh, I, I only connect uh, from a distance. Yeah, I've got some buddies I watch games with and I play some sport with, but, but nobody really knows what's going on because I hate the cycle of rejection. I hate the risk of letting people in. And so what happens is, is I put undue pressure on the people I live with, my spouse probably. I, 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 I'm, I'm up and down. I'm a little unpredictable. I'm maybe a little bit, uh, you know, difficult with my wife. I'm, 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 my kids, I'm a bit of a lottery. I'm not, they're not sure what they're going to get. Are they going to get happy dad or dad who doesn't want to get rejected, whatever it may be. And there's this, this effect that knocks on into the lives of those around us. 
And this just happens sometimes once a day, sometimes 50 times a day. And eventually, it forms us and it forms our character and it shapes the kind of person we become. And what's interesting is that if an event happens, some activating event comes and pushes our button that is kind of uncomfortable, that kind of makes us not sure we want to be there, we disengage, we pull away. Maybe it was our own mistake that we made and we feel ashamed, so we pull away. Maybe it was something someone did to us. Maybe it was a disappointment. We lost something that we loved. And because we lost something so dear to us, we find ourselves going, you know what? I can't bear this. And so we maybe tell ourselves a story. Maybe it's a story about God. God doesn't love me. He knows, he, he knows that I couldn't afford to lose that at that time. How could he have let that happen? And because of that, there's an emotion. That emotion gives way to a kind of behavior. That behavior has a knock-on effect, and suddenly our lives have patterns of behavior. And we look upon our lives and go, why do I always do this? It's because you've gone around this thing over and over, and you've dug for yourself these trenches in your life that you simply don't know how to get out of. And James writes to his readers here, and he says that there are going to be times where there are going to be activating events that are going to cause people in your world to believe a story that's not true. And the moment they believe that story, either about themselves or about the community or about faith and God and who he is, it's going to cause them to want to wonder. It's going to cause them to go into an orbit that's going to say, I don't want anything to do with that. Or I just need some space. I don't want God right now. I prefer to go into my own escapes. I need my drink. I need my this. I need that. That's more crucial right now to help me deal with my stuff because I need some way to close the circle. There's always going to be a knock-on effect. And so he writes to these people, and he says, guys, following Jesus is complicated. It's vital to your life, and sometimes we're going to wonder. Blessed is the guy or girl who helps a wanderer. Amazing. Look at verse 20. I want to speak about the joy of walking wanderers home. He says, look, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. You see, whoever turns a sinner, sometimes we look at sin and we've got this very sort of bizarre list of naughty things that naughty people do, and most of us do them anyway, so then, you know, we just know that sin is, is stuff that the Bible talks about. But really, sin is so much more than that. Sin is to believe a lie and to act upon it. To believe a lie about God and then to act upon it, to say, you know what, actually God is not satisfying, so it would be much better for me if I just indulged in X, Y, or Z. If I just gave myself to that, who cares? We don't realize that we tell ourselves a story about stuff before we act upon it. And so usually we're, we're looking for some escape, some way to, to fix the story, to fix the problem in our life, and so we tell ourselves a story that'll solve it. And James, an amazing courage and wisdom writes to a church just like ours, and he says, there is a joy in walking a sinner, a person who's, who's basically told themselves a new story about God, about community, about relationships, who said, I don't need them, I don't need him, it's better to go my own way. He says, no, 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 it's a blessing. If you, as a follower of Jesus, actually take the time 
and the love and the compassion to go after the wanderer, to walk towards them, to get into their life, to listen to their story, to try to uncover the, the, the lie that maybe they've told themselves and to walk them back into amazing, gracious fellowship with Jesus. This is not, by the way, and it's important to know, this is not James's uh, way of saying, you know, you could lose your salvation if you're naughty, and so we as Christians have the power to bring people back into eternal salvation. This is not what he's saying. When he talks about death and covering over a multitude of sins, what he's saying here is he's saying there is this ability to, uh, when we sin, when we choose a new narrative, a narrative that isn't the story of the gospel, that isn't about trusting in Jesus' love, we find ourselves living in a, in, a, in a type of death. A life apart from God is death. It isn't life. It leads to increasing death. It leads to a multitude of sins, really. We end up choosing to self-destruct the moment we choose to rebel against the wisdom and the ways of Jesus, which is why it's such a summarizing uh, passage that James writes here. And he says, it's an amazing joy. There's an amazing privilege about being able to turn a sinner from the error of their way, because he'll save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, you might go, what's a multitude of sins? Well, well, I think we forget sometimes that one activity usually has a knock-on effect for so many more. And we don't always realize that, sure, you know, my buddy, he's just taking some time out. He just needs some space. I get it. We all need some space sometimes. But the point is, is what, what James is saying here is that we need to understand sometimes that, that small course corrections in the early stages end up being huge kind of diversions in a couple of months or years' time. And really what he's saying is he's saying, if you don't help your brother or sister who's wandering in the early stages, you need to realize that it's going to turn into a multitude of, the, of pain. The effect, the long-term effect of that. You know, sure, he's just a grumpy husband now, but grumpy doesn't stay grumpy Grumpy has effects. It becomes uh, difficult to live with a grumpy person who's perpetually eroding at your own self-confidence, who's perpetually messing with your sense of your own worth, who perpetually is needing grace and love and, 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 and is nervous to, to, you know, people are tiptoeing around this person. Kids are afraid, whatever it may be. The sense of the effect eventually takes its toll and can have some really large effects. And so James writes and he says, to help somebody who's wandered, who's starting to believe an untrue story of God or the gospel or, or of, of themselves as relates to that is an amazing joy. It's a huge privilege. Michael Eaton says, the, uh, James goes on to say, the greatest way to show your spiritual power is to be able to rescue the inconsistent Christian, be able to rescue them, to help them. Love that beautiful uh, hymn, which says it like this. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Guilty. We, we, we do this to lesser or greater degrees on a day-to-day -day basis. And, uh, and the job of the Christian community is to essentially help each other, to stay in the orbit, to stay in the, the orbit of the love and the grace of God. That's why we genuinely say, you know, I learned this term in, in, in running. They talk about rehab, which is, you know, when you're injured and you do rehab to get strong again. I learned a term called prehab. Prehab is to make sure that you don't get those injuries again. You prehabilitate. It's clear around to, am I right? Clear? Prehab. Good word, right? You prepare yourself so that you don't need to be rehabilitated. You strengthen up the areas of your body that need strengthening so that you don't have that. 
The, the Christian community is exactly like that. That's why we say, hey, there's two non-negotiables we suggest in your week every week. Get to church, get to life group. We try to cut out everything else. Our church isn't filled with all sorts of other stuff. Just two a week. Get to those, and you play the prehab role. You find yourself in the community of God, having those conversations, making sure that your heart isn't wandering as far as it could or should. The moment I find, the moment people distance themselves from those things and disconnect themselves from the healthy life of God, the easier it is to begin to exaggerate that first story. I don't know if you've found this in your life, but something happens, an activating event happens, and you're already quite distant from the people who love Jesus and love you. And something happens in your life, maybe it's a, a, an event, you, you go through some pain, and nobody knows about it. No call, no thought, no message, no nothing. Now, if you had been with each other for the last couple of weeks, you would have probably just told them. But because you haven't, you feel the sense of nobody knows. Nobody even cares what is going on. Is this even real friendship? It doesn't feel like anybody even gives a. And so you tell yourself that story. What's the emotion after that story? It's not the smiley face, guys. It's either yellow or red. It's usually red. And so we then eventually have some sort of behavior which goes, well, it's not real. There's nothing genuine about it, so I disconnect further. All I need now is, a, is, a, is one more message to go, guys, uh, whatever, and, and, and I find myself even further disconnecting. One more confirmation, and the cycle repeats itself because we become a product of what we expect out of our lives. Our emotions begin to feed or begin to feed who we become. Does this make sense? And so there's this tendency that we can wonder. And so... It becomes this joy, and I want to put it to you that it's actually a joy to help a wanderer to come home, to help a wanderer come back into the fold, to come back to a wonderful sense of fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. About six weeks ago, my buddy Valdi, remember he came and preached and he told the story of how you know, we were studying together and he was in a relationship that he himself knew was going to lead to a multitude of sins. And... Uh, he tells the story of how I took him aside one day and, uh, and, and really said, bro, do you think this is good for you? And are you in the right relationship? Do you know how I remember that story? I remember going, hey, dude, we should chat. Then we, we went somewhere, we chatted, and I don't remember saying anything except, how's it going? <laughs> and he wept. <laughs> and uh, he basically went, it's not going well, and I think I'm making some bad mistakes. And I, think, I said, I think you're right. Sometimes it's a case of just calling a buddy and going, how is it going? And then listening to their story and going, I think I agree. And, and, and sometimes we're a bit more resistant. We're a bit more hard-headed. And some of you, I know you are. I've walked with you. You're a bit uh, stubborn like me. And uh, if you're that way, then we need a few more questions. How's it really going? I haven't seen you. Or it doesn't feel like that, that stuff is alive like it has been. Where, where's your faith at? What, what story have you been telling yourself? Tell me, what, are there any hurts that you've experienced in the last while? What's, is there anything I'm missing? Is there any stories that's been happening that I haven't heard? And, and just do some listening. And try to, to listen to the story under the story. You see, what you can do there is you're showing amazing care. You're showing amazing love. You're showing a sense that you, you want this person's best for them. It's an amazing joy. I'm kind of tipping into the next part of this, which is really the job of walking the wanderer home. The job, which in verse 19, he says, my brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth 
and someone should bring that person back. What an amazing thought. What a concept that you and I, this is important, this is not the professional Christian's job to bring that person back. He says, if someone, anyone who loves Jesus would, would help a person, would help a brother or sister, because we all have weak points, we all are vulnerable. If someone, I love it. That's a value of our church, by the way. We're not this church that defers to the professionals and say, hey, you do the job, because it's not in the Bible. The Bible teaches that we are all equal, flat, level at the foot of the cross. We've all got the same task. Find and follow Jesus and help each other do it. Help each other along the way. So if anyone should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, what does that look like? I think I've shared a little bit of that, but I think it's, it's good to just pick up what are some of the signs. Sometimes it's a bit of distance bit of disinterest that comes from a person, bit of disconnection. It's just been a bit of a while. We're not looking for a devil behind every bush. We're not trying to, you know, second guess people. Sometimes you just have a busy schedule. Life's tough. But, but there is a sense of us wanting to, to care for each other. Pick up and go, hey, how are you? What's going on? What are, what, are, what are the stories in your life right now? What are the stories in your head right now? Michael Eaton gives this advice. He says, there must be loving concern for each other and our weaknesses. We never to despise a brother or sister because they have weaknesses. We have weaknesses too. We must be willing to do something, to, to act. We must be willing to get involved. Don't avoid the matter. Run away or, or, or fail in courage, he says. We must be optimistic about each other. How, this is important because you think of a wanderer, you've probably got someone in your head right now. You're going, I oh, know they've, they've wandered. I haven't seen them for so long. You know what they're thinking? They're thinking, does anybody care? And you're thinking, it's been too long. I should have phoned them six weeks ago. It's too long now. It's never too late. It's never, ever too late to love someone and show interest in their life and move towards them in love. Not in judgmentalism, just to say, we love you. We want you. And I want Jesus' best for you. I think the best advice that I could ever give in terms of helping anyone along a journey is to not try to give them what I want for a person but to try to give what I believe Jesus would want for them. You see, that steps you out the thing, because sometimes we've got preferred outcomes. Oh, I'd love it if you would just call me more. I'd love it if you were just more friendly to people around. But, but actually, what I want is I want you to know what Jesus has done for you. And I want you to have a real relationship with him, because his journey with you is going to be much more faithful than anything I could do. And so when I ask questions with people and I say, hey, where have you been and how are you doing? My main question is, how's it going with Jesus? And has he been speaking to you at all? And, and, and how can I help you to, to find his love again if you've, if you've gone a little cold in that area? Because there's something so profound about making sure that we're helping each other see Jesus. There's, there's nothing like it. So what can we do? I think we can do a few things. We can recognize our own proneness to wander. Our own hearts often are wandering hearts. Do you know the patterns of your own wandering heart? Do you, have you spotted any of these cycles in your own life? I think we probably all have. Somehow with the help of the Holy Spirit and regular connection with other followers of Jesus, we begin to break those stories down. We begin to invite the story of the gospel to come back in. The moment we begin to believe the worst about a person, we say, Jesus, would you help me to have your heart? Because if you had believed the worst about everyone, you would have been right and you definitely wouldn't have gone to the cross for me because you would have been accurate. But instead, you believe the best of what could come from 
their lives if you showed grace. And so just like you showed grace for me, I want to show grace for them. Just like my heart is prone to wander, I want to help wandering hearts to come home. Would you help me to become that kind of person? Hey, recognize your own role in the process of flying into orbit. Hey, we, we've got some of us here who may be almost in the space of orbit right now. We can't believe we're actually sitting in church. We'd much rather be on the mountain right now, biking or doing whatever it else, but somehow you got dragged here. You're like, okay, I'll be here. We're prone to wonder. Our hearts, you, you, your, your heart, your, your head might be here, your body might be here, but your heart is somewhere else. Recognize sometimes your own role in the process. What stories have you told yourself? They're not true. They're they, 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 a portion of the truth. But the greatest truth is the truth of the gospel that says Christ came to undeserving sinners like you and I. And he gave us love we should never have gotten. And because of that, we're able to give love we should never get. And that is an amazing way that the story begins to turn. And suddenly grace fills that moment because what happens between an activating event and the story we tell ourselves is going to determine your future. What happens in those few moments are going to then shape your emotions and your emotions are going to shape your behavior and your behavior is going to have a knock-on effect in your world and eventually you're going to shape the life that you've got and you're going to look back in a decade and go, how did I get you? And I'll tell you how you got you. You went through this cycle hundreds of times, believing some story. And the question is, is it true? And does it line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if it doesn't, you and I have the privilege to help ourselves and to help anyone else to come back, to come home, to have a Jesus-shaped vision for homecoming. We're going to watch a little clip and uh, you're gonna, I'm going to give the stage of life that I'm in away because it's got to do with Sing 2. Now, um, I have watched this movie at least 12 times, and I'm probably exaggerating downwards. And I really enjoy it now. And there's a particular scene that I think is really cool because there's this little, uh, well, there's this big gorilla named Johnny. Anybody watch the movie know Johnny? Oh, you guys, I love you. Johnny's a legend, but Johnny's been through a lot. Poor Johnny uh, has struggled with uh, self-confidence. His dad is, has been in and out of prison. He's a criminal, and so Johnny is this like fatherless uh, guy who's got a whole bunch of wounds, and he struggles to just pull it off. He really struggles with confidence, and he's been through this difficult journey of trying to, to pull off this difficult act, and his, um, his, his dance coach, what's his name? Hans Klinkenbottom. Come on, next. It's worse than that. Click and Klopper. Thank you, Brad. Klaus Click and Klopper, that's his name, has basically played the role of the enemy, the liar, the, 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 the one who comes, the accuser, who comes to make him think he will never be great. And he's got this little, um, this little friend. Her name is uh, Nusha. We've been struggling to find her name. Nusha, she, you'll see, she's the cat with the green jersey. And uh, I want you to just watch as this uh, sort of cartoon plays out, but actually plays a lot into the reality of our lives. So let's watch, and I'll make some comments afterwards. Come. 
Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars I'm gonna give you my heart Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars Cause you light up the path That's my boy Johnny. cool is that? You want to give Johnny a round of applause, eh? <laughs> the point of that is that there's a moment where Johnny is basically down. He's at his worst. And amazingly, there's one person who just bangs on that drum. She finds what she can, and she bangs on this drum. And there was everyone else was basically standing and staring. It's, a, it's, it's, it's so common in our world where basically somebody wanders and we all go, oh, I wonder what's going to happen about that. 
All the best. Hope somebody does something. And there's one person, uh, this little cat, who starts to bang on the run. And she creates a, a rhythm. She creates a tune that basically pulls this person back, that strengthens him up to, to dance again, to fight again, to go back to the difficult place that he knew he needed to go. I suppose I don't want to ask this question necessarily of you, of who's banging the drum for you. I want to ask the question, who are you banging the drum for? Who are you looking around at and wondering and going, how can I bang the drum? How can I put the rhythm of the gospel back into their heart? How can I help them to see that there is more to this life than whatever it is that they're chasing, whatever story it is that they're telling themselves? I don't know what it is in your friend and your family's life, but they need someone to bang the drum for them. They need someone who, when everyone else is watching, sort of hands folded, going, all the best. It's just one. And amazing how quickly the others began to beat the drum, get the rhythm going. And maybe just today, as we come to a close, I want to ask you the question to just maybe even close your eyes and just take a moment to think. And maybe the band can join us up here. Just for you to think, who are you banging the drum for? Who needs a drum beat? That drum beat may well be a phone call, maybe a coffee maybe a jog or a surf or a ride or a run or whatever it is that you need to do, who is that person, those people? Maybe it's not their own fault. Maybe the story has just been pain, but that pain has maybe led to a, a little lie. You don't know what they're believing. Who are you banging the drum for today? You could cover over a multitude of sins. You could set someone, else, uh, someone up for amazing freedom. You could walk someone back into the joy of life and community. You could walk someone out of that horrible cycle of bitterness, regret, frustration, hurt. I can't do it for them because I don't have that bridge of friendship, but you do. Maybe for some of us, it's actually walking ourselves out of that cycle. Today, we've realized actually it's our own cycle of pain. We've been telling ourselves some silly stories. Maybe it's about community. Maybe it's about people. Maybe it's about leadership. Maybe it's about your loved ones. And you begin to believe a lie that that person isn't a gift. That person is a problem. Because of that, you fed a story. The Bible, this, this is where the word repent really comes in. Change the story. Believe the new story that in Jesus Christ, God has come and he has brought grace to undeserving sinners like you and I. And the story is turned around. I'll ask us to stand. Jesus, as we come into a time of singing, I do pray that you would help us to recognize the stories that we've been telling ourselves, that you would empower us to break the cycle, but also that you would help us to help others. James is not really primarily saying, hey, get yourself out of trouble. He says, get others out. Love others deeply. Empathize with their story. Imagine what they may be going through. Call them up. Get into their world. Ask questions and love them. 
some ways, that's what I'm doing for us today is I'm trying to call you out of any stories that are not the gospel story, any lies that have let you fold your arms and watch from a distance. And today, Jesus and I invite you to a fresh sense of trust in Him, trust in others. Really believe some people today, you've, you've folded your arms and you've watched the world and you've said, I will trust very few. We witnessed on this men's time away that we need brothers. We need sisters. We need friends. And today is homecoming because Jesus says, I'm the true older brother. I'm the one who wants to be your brother. I want to be your friend. I want you to trust me. Today, I invite you to trust Jesus freshly. And as you trust him, to let him teach you how to trust others. You know, for some, it's actually just not walking out the back door. It's walking out the side door today. Have a coffee. Connect with people. Let them in. Tell yourself a fresh story that maybe some people actually do want to listen. Move towards others and express some of your own vulnerability. For some of us, it's to pick up the phone and call a parent. Call a sibling. Call a loved one. Ask them how they're doing. Check in with them. Tell them you miss them. Jesus, we invite your leadership, your discernment. We're not a church that wants to be defined by consumeristic, what have they done for me? But by love that has been caught up in your grace and saying, you've done everything for us. How can we serve each other? So to that end, I pray, coach us to see with your eyes how we can serve each other, how we can love and walk the wandering home, how we can bang the drum and create a rhythm of grace for those who've gone walkabouts. As we sing, I pray that you would spark our imaginations, not with what we can get, but with how we could serve. Coach us to love freshly. Coach us into your grace. Remind us of what you've done for us in the gospel. 